before I get into Matthew chapter 18, I want to actually lay a foundation with a, a short passage from 1 John chapter 1. So you don't have to turn to your Bibles, but let me read you this. 1 John chapter 1, 5 through 10 says this. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So, you hear that? You hear that passage, and I think there's a foundation we all need to know right up front before we get into this. If you feel like you haven't sinned, you're wrong. If you feel like I haven't sinned, you're wrong. If you feel like Marty Grubbs hasn't sinned, we're all wrong, right? We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Um, but he, he is the only one who can forgive. We don't have the power to forgive ourselves, right? God has the power to forgive us. And I want you to keep that in mind, that if, if we say that we have not sinned, right, if we think we are holier than that, if we think there's nothing wrong with anything we've done, we are actually making God himself a liar. And I got to say, like, whenever I get to heaven one day, like, by, by God's grace, I get to heaven one day and I have that conversation. I do not want to have any moment where he counts all my words and he goes, you made me a liar, <laughs> I mean, that's, that, that's, I don't feel like that'd be a pretty day for me. So, so we need to understand up front that part of the Christian understanding, we are all fallen. We've all sinned, all fallen short of the glory of the God. Know that up front, because I think so much of where we're going to fail to apply the teachings we're going to learn in Matthew 18 is because of other sins that we're not accounting for ourselves to sins. It's our pride, it's our ego, it's our arrogance. Uh, with those sins that we have in our life, because we don't think they're sin or we don't think it's an issue, uh, we fail to actually abide by some of the teachings we're going to learn today. I've got a question I wanted to throw out to you guys, though, uh, maybe for just a very, very quick table discussion. I'm going to bring it back fairly quickly. But I want to ask you this question. Is it, is it impossible, kind of to the email, is it impossible to be grateful and to be bitter at the same time? So is it impossible to be grateful and be bitter at the same time? Would you think about that a little bit? Talk about your tables and we'll, we'll come back. All right. We'll, we'll go ahead and bring it back because I'm afraid this lesson will never get through today. So, so um, bitterness, bitterness and gratefulness. And I'm, I'm going to, instead of opening up for, for group commentary on this, I'm going to give you my opinion. Right, and I probably haven't done enough Bible research on this one to give you a, a, a truth. But if I think about bitterness, so we're talking about Zoom called bitterness. You're you're harboring some ill will, right? You're you're stewing on something. You're angry, or or that that can overtake you almost like a cancer, right? It, it's a it's a different. It's not suffering. It's not pain. It's you are harboring ill will uh, against someone. Most time, it's someone or a condition or, or something that's happened to you. Uh, normally, if you're harboring ill will and you're saying, I'm not harboring any ill will to anybody, it means you're probably doing it to God. 
And, and so that bitterness can really overtake you. In the midst of that bitterness, I find it very difficult in the times of my life where I've been very bitter, and I have been a little bit this week, but, but where I've been bitter, it is very difficult to get my mind to shift into a perspective where I am grateful. Like I can be grateful in the midst of suffering and in the midst of pain, right? But not bitterness, right? Not bitterness. Those are two completely contradictory viewpoints of your soul. To be able to have a perspective of gratefulness while I am harboring ill will, I don't personally think is possible. And we'll, yeah, Lee, go ahead. I think thankfulness. Yep. I agree. That's, and that's perspective shift. But you have to do something to eliminate that bitterness. And we'll we'll talk about that here in just a second. No, you can. Yeah, hey, and so for you guys on for you guys on Zoom, he's making a good point. You you need to you have to go from something other than intellectual assent, right? You, that has to move to the heart because bitterness can remain in your heart, right? You can know that you're not supposed to be bitter, but you're still there. And so we'll talk us through, but I just want you to get that idea. I think, I think we struggle with this because I think we convince ourselves that it's okay to be bitter. It's okay to be resentful. It's okay to, to, to have grudges, to harbor ill will, to hang on to things. It's okay, right? And it's just like we talk about this a lot. And I don't want to overplay it, but you're playing with sin. You're playing with sin whenever you do that. And sin is what? Sin, what, what, what we, we talk about, you see God refer to sin as a lion crouching, ready to devour you, right? Do we play with lions, right? We don't play with lions because at the end of the day, a lion's going to be a lion, right? Sin is going to be sin. The nature of sin is to devour, right? And so I want you to be careful. We play with sin. We play with bitterness. We play with resentment. We play with our grudges thinking we can keep it all in balance. I don't think it's possible, right? So, so I want to keep that perspective as we go through. I've struggled this week with a few things, and I'm not going to get into the details, but I've just, I've struggled with how to walk out bitterness and how to walk out faithfulness and teaching that seems to contradict everything I want to do. Um, I was struggling a little bit, and I asked Tyler for his advice. Tyler's a former Marine captain, and so I told him, hey, how did you deal with stuff that you needed to, you know, um, you know, just people not acting the right way, different things going on. How did you deal with this in the Marines? And uh, they had a very logical way to deal with things in the Marines that I really liked, but it's not the way I'm allowed to do things in the church, apparently. So, so that goes out the door. Uh, but, but our Christian concept of forgiveness, of forgiveness is radical. I mean, it is crazy. It is crazy. One of the conversations we were having was, was whenever Christianity came into Western Europe, whenever it was going up um, through the Middle Ages, getting up into the, the German tribes and the Viking tribes uh, and those people groups, and they learned about the doctrine of forgiveness, that was, the, that was a huge holding holdup for them to be able to actually accept the truth of Christianity because this doctrine of forgiveness does not play well whenever you're used to tribal warfare. Right. Whenever you're used to the strong man taking power and eliminating all threats to the tribe, right, this idea, this concept of forgiveness does not make any sense. And so they had a hard time accepting Christianity because of that, right, because of that. 
And so, you know, Gene, if you ever have a hard time of forgiving people, I'm blaming it on your Viking ancestry. You know, so, so, you know, what we we just have to understand this is this is crazy. This is not how the world operates. Forgiving people is not how the world operates at all. And if we're not careful, we will just we will just go with the way of the world and get and not even realize what we're doing, and it will just overtake us, and we'll just start operating in the way of the world. Bill Search yesterday was doing a staff chapel devotion. And he gave a great illustration. And I wish I could make, I wish I could say it's my own, uh, but it's his illustration, but I'm going to add to it. Uh, but his illustration, he was talking about going tubing on a river. And I don't know if anyone here has ever been tubing on a river before. Uh, but the great thing about tubing on a river is you don't have to do any work, right? You get on the river and the natural current of the river just takes you down the river and you can kind of sit there and you do nothing and you go down the river, right? And I want you to think about this, being conformed to the ways of the world, being, being just getting used to doing things the way the world does something, is like tubing on a river. You just kind of sit in there, and without realizing it, you just kind of start going the way of the world. Now, here's what I'm going to add to that illustration. I talked to Bill about this this morning. Is If we just go along the way of the world with our consumption of our media, consumption of that, not, not doing intentional things to not conform to the way of the world, we just keep going. What the world doesn't realize is, on the, is at the end of that river, what is at the end of the river? a big waterfall that are going over to jagged rocks, right? But if you're not intentional about doing it differently than just the natural current of the river, that's where you're going to head. And so Jesus gives us this incredible teaching to talk about not having bitterness, to talk about not being the way of the world. But man, this teaching in Matthew 18 is tough. It's going to be tough to do. So let's get into it. Um, let's get into it. I, I, if you, if you guys follow me on social media, I posted this quote the other day that I just love. Uh, it says, we are most like beasts when we kill. We are most like men when we judge. And we are most like God when we forgive. As William Arthur Ward. We are most like God when we forgive. You're going to see this come, come all the way through in chapter 18. I'm going to do this a little bit differently. I'm just going to kind of hit some highlights here in chapter 18. Uh, we're going to spend most of our time uh, on starting in verse 15. But just to set up this teaching of Jesus, he is talking to his disciples. And one of the first things he talks to them is they're, they're trying to decide who's going to be the greatest. Right? And he's trying to help them understand that it's not who's the greatest. It's you've got to humble yourself. Right? But you see this, this natural struggle for power you know, is the root of a lot of sin that, that we still deal with today. And it was the same sin going on right then. And so Jesus is, is confronting their desire for power, for worldly power, and trying to show them a very different way. And he's going to parlay that teaching of a different way to exhibit power. He's going to parlay that teaching into a different way to forgive your brother and to work with your brother. So let me read first. I'm going to start on verse 15, and I'm going to read the first portion of Jesus' teaching, and then I'll give you a couple highlights. So let me read this. It says, If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth shall be loose in heaven. And again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. First thing I want to highlight in this passage is this. 
where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am among them. I had a conversation, it was a difficult conversation this week, and uh, two Christian brothers having, a, having a, a good conversation. And in my mind, I kept thinking about that verse, and I kept imagining Jesus sitting right next to us, right? Two or more gathered in my name, I am there, right? I am there. And I got to say, it changed the way I interacted, thinking about Jesus sitting in that chair right next to me, hearing everything I was saying, knowing the condition of my heart, determining if I'm going to be faithful or not in the way that I'm going about a difficult moment, right? So I want you to, I want you to think about that. Two or more, my name. whenever we're talking about conflict with our Christian brothers here, right, I want you to think about that. Jesus is there. God is there, right? We've got to be obedient to this teaching. So there's a process. I mean, this is, this is a very practical process uh, that God asks us to go through here. Whenever we have a conflict, whenever it says very first, if your brother sins against you, which assumes you know whether or not your brother has sinned or not. Let's assume you know. If your brother sins against you, this is what you do. And so what I want you to, I want you to do at your tables for just a second is, is just quickly look at what the process is that Jesus tells us to do if our brother sins. And then I want you to say, have you ever actually done this process? Whenever you've had this scenario happen, one of your brothers has sinned against you. Have you actually ever done this? And if not, what do you normally do? So talk about that for just a few minutes and we'll come back. All right, well, while everyone's wrapping up discussion, just as we kind of slowly come back here, anybody in this room, is this your go-to method for conflict resolution with a Christian brother or sister? Anybody? This is like, no, yeah, I do this every day. Yeah, this is, uh, yeah, it's your go-to, Mr. Langer. This is, oh, well done, well done. What is, um, what's, what's the go-to for conflict management with our Christian brothers and sisters? What's our go-to? Avoidance. Avoidance? That's a good one. I love avoidance. Yeah, what's, what's another one? Angry social media? That's fun. That's fun. That never causes any problems in the church whatsoever. Um, angry social media is a great one. Here's my favorite, gossiping behind their back. Uh, that's a really healthy thing. Uh, I mean, that's, no, no, guys never do that, right? Bill Search, has a, Bill Search has a saying, and it's a great saying. He goes, everybody has a friend who won't tell anybody, right? So you, you just think about that. Everybody has a friend who won't tell everybody, right? That's how gossip starts. And uh, gossip is, is, is fantastic. Passive aggressiveness, great, great strategy of the world. Uh, downright slander is helpful at times. Um, I got to say, you know, working, sometimes I get so used to the Christian environment because I get to work in a great church every single day that I forget about what it was like when I worked in the corporate world. And, and like I say, it differed in different companies I was at, but my first company I worked at, man, it was a wild, wild west show, right? And and I, I was kind of rising up through the ranks at a young age and I had people taking me down. I had knives thrown at me all the time, right? And so 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 my natural tendency to learn is like, all right, you're throwing knives, I'm going to throw knives, Right. And, and so and then I also learned how to build shields around me. And so it was warfare on a daily basis in that place. And then I worked for another company that taught me you don't have to actually work that way. It was fantastic. But in this place, you don't have to do that. But it's amazing that the worldly way to do is 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 not this. This is this does not happen. This teaching is radical. This, this is this is not the. We're on the inner tube going down the river, and, 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 and we will never even think about this. If, if we're on the inner tube going the river, this is, 
doing this is like throwing a rope and tying it on something and pulling yourself back. It is so different from the natural flow of what we normally do. You look at this, step one, you have to know if they actually sinned or not. Step two, you gotta check your heart, right? Are you about to go in and do this for restoration purposes or retaliation purposes, right? Is it bitterness that is driving the conversation you're about to have or is it love and restoration? Step three, if you look at this, you go and you tell your brother or sister their fault and you do it with gentleness, humility, and respect. There's other passages you can, you can add on to this of the teachings that will show you. You do this with gentleness, humility, and respect. And if it works, what do you get? What does it say? If that works, when you go and have that conversation, gentleness, humility, and respect, what do you gain? You gain your brother. By definition, then, what do you lose if you don't do this? Lose your brother. You lose the ministry God would do through you. You lose the fellowship. You lose the love. You lose all these things, right? You gain your brother. Step four, they don't listen the first time because, you know, we're all sinful, fallen creatures and we're prideful and arrogant. And sometimes when someone does this, you get defensive and they don't listen. I've done that from time to time. That's normally how most arguments work with my wife. So step four, <laughs> step four. Are you saying you're recording? Yeah, I am recording this. Yeah. I'll say in her defense, she's always right. She's always right. Yeah. So uh, step four, step four, if they didn't listen and you know they've sinned against you and they haven't confessed and you haven't restored the relationship, you bring witnesses with you. You bring one or two witnesses. And you notice that you don't bring one or two witnesses the first time. Why? It will, con it will contradict the original teaching that says, go to them alone. Alone. And normally this is what we do. And Christians do this all the time. We have an issue. Someone has sinned against us. We'll, we'll, we'll sit there and we'll, we'll, we'll socialize the issue, right? We'll talk to this person, this person, this person, this person. We'll talk to five or six people to make sure we know we're in the right Right. And then we'll go and have the conversation. Well, those five or six people do what? They take the kernel of truth that they just received. They add a lot of things on top of it and they tell five or six people themselves. And by the time it gets back, you know, if, if Gene and I, I'm sorry, Gene, I keep out of see you right there. If Gene and I have a small dispute where I have sinned against Gene. If Gene were to go and talk to five or six people about our small dispute where I've sinned against him, and then those five or six talk and those five or six talk, by the time it gets back to me, I am the Antichrist. Right? I am the Antichrist, and no one trusts me to make any decisions and all that. But if he comes to me alone, he goes, I haven't talked to anyone about this, but I've prayed about this, and I really feel like you have sinned against me. Right? And, I, and I love you, and I want to make this right. And, and then we could have a conversation and go, I never meant to do that, but I have sinned against you. Forgive me. Right? You hug it out, you love each other, and you move on. You move on, and you gain a brother. Like, like I, I was laying in bed this morning, or not this morning, a few days ago. I was struggling with just a conflict I was managing. And I was struggling, and I was struggling, and I was struggling. How to deal with it, how to deal with it. And I read this passage 50 times, 50 times. And I just didn't want to do this. And I knew I was going to teach it to you, too. And I, I, I practiced this this week. I did not want to do this. And then it was when the rain was falling, and just for a moment, as I was worrying and anxious, the rain was falling, and I got this different perspective. I went from my perspective to God's perspective just a second. I heard the majesty of his creation with the rain and the storms and everything, and he goes, I am so powerful. I've got everything under control. I love you. Just do what I say. Just do what I say. Trust me on this. You know, but so often we just don't do what he says. This is, I don't want to under, under emphasize just how crazy this teaching is. 
But I promise you, it works because God told us it does and he loves us. Yes, sir. I want to know, you know, one of the things we have challenged with, a lot of us have done the first part of that. Very seldom have we done the second part of that yeah. where you bring the two friends, the two witnesses. That's yeah. not an easy situation. I've been involved in places where we yeah. get with alcoholic drug addicts and we challenge yeah. them to get help. But I mean, they have to be very intimate with people. Yeah. They have knowledge of the situation. I mean, yeah, you can't you can't do this like honestly, you can't do this cold turkey, right? Uh, to to your point, you can't just go up like I've never talked to you before, but I've got two people right here, and we want to have a discussion. Right? I mean, like this assumes an intimate relationship in Christ, right? Which is part of I mean, you can all of Jesus' teachings you can't do them on their own, right? All the teachings you build on each other, right? They all circumvent you. Know, the reason you don't have to have anxiety on a daily basis is because you also listen to the teaching on debt. Right. The, the reason you want to have anxiety about your image and all that is because your, your identity is in Christ, not in these other things. Right. All these things build on each other. This is, is one of the examples that builds on itself. But I want you to go back on, on this. I want you to read this passage a few times on what the actual process is for conflict management, because you will get faced with this opportunity more than you think. And the hard thing to do is to keep it to yourself and go to your brother. Keep it to yourself. Go to your brother. Give them the opportunity to repent, to ask for forgiveness, to restore. This is hard, especially when it was with people you love and people who have hurt you, right? It is really hard when, when people you respect so much hurt you. And, and to go have the conversation is not an easy thing, but Jesus tells us to do it, and you gain your brother as a result. Now, after this teaching, he gives us a warning. He goes, hey, this is what you need to do. And, and by the way, this isn't just a this isn't just a recommendation. This is a command. And let me explain to you why this is a command, right? Why you actually need to go do this. And so I'm going to read the parable of the unforgiving servant. Uh, that goes starts on, on verse 21. Just bear with me, it's a little long, uh, but we need to read all these words. And I'm gonna I'll stop a little bit throughout and kind of point out a couple of things. It says, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord. How often will my brother, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him as many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times, which would have been ludicrous to them to hear this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servant. When he began to settle, one of his servants was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. All right, so 10,000 talents. One talent is worth like 20 years wages for, for a servant. So just think about that. 10,000 talents is so many lifetimes you can't count. So this is intentionally ridiculous. Just like it's ridiculous to forgive them 77 times in the eyes of the world, it is ridiculous to, to, to see this level of debt being discussed in this parable. I just want to keep in mind how crazy this number is. Nothing can be done to repay this debt. That verse 25, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. So what's the servant trying to do right there? Hey, he's trying to buy time, right? We all are trying to buy time. The reason we avoid things, we're trying to buy time. All of us are trying to buy time, right? And he thinks he can actually find a way to figure this out on his own. He can't figure this out on his own. Think about that in nature of your sin, right? 
Can you figure out your sin on your own? Can you forgive your sin on your own? Absolutely not. But we try. We really, really try. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found out one of his fellow servants owed him a hundred denarii, which would have been a very small amount of money. We're talking about just in today's terms, maybe a couple thousand dollars, right? Compared to multiple hundreds of lifetimes of debt. One of his fellow servants owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? Let's pause there for just a second. Let me reread that. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? What does that language sound like? Does that ring a bell to anybody, that language? For anyone who knows the Lord's Prayer in memory, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Yeah. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. I left out the daily bread part. The daily bread comes first. But forgive us our trespasses as, though, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. What do you think about that? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So let me reread that verse again. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is a tough little warning, huh? I mean, so, so I want you to see that. So we ought to forgive why? Why should we forgive? Because we have been forgiven. We love because we have been loved. We forgive because we've been forgiven. If you read the entire Bible, especially read the Old Testament, it is nothing but a story of God forgiving his people over and over and over and finding a way to redeem and restore them. And so whenever we see how ludicrous it seems that, that you would forgive someone 77 times, and there's other passages that would make you think it's even more, right, multiple of that, you know, it says you have no idea. I, I, I have shown so much mercy and grace to you over all the ages, right? I have forgiven you the debt that you cannot pay yourself, right? We think about this tubing illustration going down the river, right? We have no ability to stop ourselves from going down that river. And he, and he reaches out and grabs us, right? And he goes, I'll get you off, right? We, we just don't have the power on our own. So because we have been shown so much mercy that the teaching in here is, as you have been shown mercy, you need to show mercy. And if you don't show mercy, that's going to have consequences. And so I want to think about this real quickly. We, we think about a couple levels of forgiveness as we read the Bible and we understand our relationship with God. We think about judicial forgiveness, which is, is, is probably where we normally go when we think about forgiveness. We think about what happened on the cross. We think about our salvation. Right, that as we put our faith in God, as we trust in God, our salvation is secure because, because the wrath of God has been eliminated as, as our sins have been forgiven. 
right? That's that idea of judicial forgiveness. And that is true forgiveness. The forgiveness that we, we read a lot here in the teaching of Jesus is, is almost more parental. And, and, and so on a daily basis, we are communing with God. And, and I think what he's telling us here is that as we don't forgive our brothers, as we don't follow him this way, as we don't do this, it, it interrupts that communal relationship we have with God on a daily basis. If, that, if judicial forgiveness is the fact that God has a house and he brings us into the house and we are now members of his house, Parental forgiveness is, is that when, you know, if, if we don't have that daily parental forgiveness, you know, while we're in the house, it's kind of hard to talk to dad. I mean, just think about that. When you're in your house and, and you screwed up as a teenager, right? And for me, it was when I went drag racing and got caught by the cops going 135 and then 45. You know, <laughs> one example of these things. And I remember that day, it was like, you know, there's going to be an issue between me and dad today. And uh, now, now dad's not on the Zoom call, but he'll tell you he had a hard time. He had a hard time disciplining me because I'd grown up listening to stories of him drag racing as a high school kid. He, I'd heard every story in the book, so I was a great kid compared to one of the stories I heard anyway. But regardless, when you have an issue with your dad, you have an issue with your mom, you have an issue in the house, right? You've sinned against your parents. It doesn't make for a very good uh, relationship in the house that day. I want you to think about this. I want to think about these teachings and our idea of confession and forgiveness a little bit like that. As we confess our sins and we forgive our brothers and we do these things, we are clearing the slate on a daily basis to have this incredible relationship with God our Father. His presence dwells within us. There's nothing marring this relationship. And we've got our Father right there, comfortable, walking alongside of us, no tension in between us. And I want you to kind of think about it that way. There's because it'd be easy to only think about the judicial side of what we understand as forgiveness. But I want you to think a little bit about the parental side right now. Uh, because I, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I have not read the word, or if I do have sin in my life, I have not confessed. Or if I'm harboring bitterness towards my brother, it interrupts the relationship I have with God. It interrupts that. And so not only is God saying, hey, if you follow these commands, you will gain your brother. Right? But it also clears the pathway to our relationship. And, and this, is, this is difficult teaching, but this is the expectation. Right? The expectation. You need to know there are consequences for not actually following through on the teachings that Jesus has given us here today. So on that note, on that note, one of the last quotes I'll give you is by a guy named H.P. Charles. And I love, so the first quote I gave you was by H.P. Charles, talking about bitterness. Uh, you know, can you have bitterness and uh, gratefulness at the same time? And I think our answer to that would be no, right? And we understand forgiveness being something that will eliminate that bitterness, right? Confession be something that will eliminate that bitterness. His quote that I really liked, it says this, forgiveness is not an act of generosity to others. It is an act of gratitude to God. And so when you come into a situation where, where your brother comes to you or you go to your brother, but if your brother, you know, if, if, you, if you go to your brother and they have sinned against you, you're not just doing them a favor. And that is not how we need to look at that. We need to look at that as, as I forgive you. I am, I am showing that as an act of gratitude to God himself because I know I got so much more mercy than what I'm providing right now, right? That's the way we have to think about this. Keep that perspective in mind, and it'll allow you to deal with conflict in a very different way. 
conflict will destroy your relationships, it'll destroy the church, it'll destroy so many things God can do. This is a hard teaching, but very, very important. I bet you're going to have the opportunity to practice this before we meet next week. <laughs> Just going out on a limb, you're going to have the opportunity to practice it. Let me know how it goes. If it goes horribly wrong, send me an email. We'll talk about it. But, but, if it goes horribly wrong, this is what we're called to do. It's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be great. You may not get a, you may not get a receptive audience, but we've been called to do it this way. All right. Love you guys. Let me pray for you here. Father, I thank you again for these men. May you watch over them and take care of them and be with their families. Uh, I know we deal with conflict every day. All of us do. Help us have the faith to just practice this teaching. It's not easy. I struggle. I, I, I struggle so much, and you know that. And I'm sure many of these guys in here do as well. Uh, may you just help us be faithful. Help us be obedient. Uh, let us know that your way is so loving. Your way is gracious. And your way restores. Your way redeems. It, it takes away the consequences of sin. And we just want to be close to you. And we trust you. May our actions demonstrate the trust we have in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.